A very good morning and welcome to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, are broadcasting live from Johannesburg on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. In the headlines, Botswana grants 10 Eritrean soccer players asylum. A report uncovers evidence of human rights abuses in South Sudan. And the United Nations chief highlights the role of good governance in fighting terrorism. Um, and Musa, a very good morning to you. Botswana has granted asylum to a group of 10 Eritrean soccer players who sought refuge after playing in a World Cup qualifying match. The players who are also in the army refused to board their plane back home. They had been kept at a detention center for illegal immigrants in Botswana's second city, Francistown. The government of Eritrea has been accused by human rights groups of being among the most repressive in the world. The African Union has accused government and rebel forces in South Sudan of extreme violence since the conflict erupted at the end of 2013. The report by the AU Commission of Inquiry found evidence of mutilation of bodies, conscription of child soldiers and other human rights abuses. However, it specified that genocide had not been committed during the conflict. The conflict has killed over 10,000 people and displaced more than 2 million. The Central African Republic will hold presidential and parliamentary elections on the 13th of December. The polls initially due to be held on the 18th of October were postponed due to violence in the capital. The elections are intended to usher in a government with authority to restore order in the country and pave the way for the departure of UN and French peacekeepers. The Central African Republic was plunged into turmoil in 2013 when Muslim rebels from an umbrella group called Leka seized power in the majority Christian country. Tanzania's National Electoral Commission is expected to announce the winner of the presidential elections later today. Preliminary results show John Makafuli of the ruling CCM party ahead in the poll. January Makamba of the ruling party has dismissed allegations by the opposition that the poll was rigged. When a political party goes into an election, you overpromise uh, your supporters uh, victory, and then when victory does not come about because of maybe some mistakes that uh, you know uh, you have made as political leaders, you know it's easy to find excuse in saying that uh, you know we've been rigged. The United Nations Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon says good governance is essential to combat terrorism. Ban was speaking at a conference in Madrid on preventing and countering violent extremism. A March 2004 terrorist attack in the Spanish capital killed 191 people and wounded 1,800 more. Ban outlined a plan of action to address the factors behind violent extremism. The extremist groups often paint themselves as an alternative to poor governance and corruption in the justice sector, in the security sector, and across all state institutions. We must strengthen these areas as a preventive measures to stop the spoilers 
a peace from holding sway over underserved and neglected populations. I'm convinced that good governance is essential to countering terrorism in the long term. Recapping the top stories, Botswana grants 10 Eritrean soccer players asylum. A report uncovers evidence of human rights abuses in South Sudan. And the United Nations chief highlights the role of good governance in fighting terrorism. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Today we're doing our outside broadcast right here, just outside Santon and Fourway, South Africa, Joburg. We're at the 7th Annual Women in Politics Africa Conference. Very interesting indeed. Various stakeholders in terms of women that are actually strong in terms of their involvement in politics are actually gathering together to really discuss various issues that really relate to the issue of women in politics. Now, the key areas that will be highlighted or already highlighted because this conference started yesterday, it's really about using the Freedom Charter and Unity in Action to achieve socio-economic freedom in Africa. Also, the issue of mainstreaming women into politics using democracy to advance uh, really women. We know that that's a big conversation on the continent whereby how do we get women in politics? We see this in our uh, politics in terms of uh, what's happening in Parliament. We're seeing the trend where there are more women right now in terms of uh, their uh, contingency within their involvement in uh, uh, parliamentary processes. So today we're going to be discussing this. We've got Deshaun Dazel, who is uh, a part of those people who are actually organizing this particular event. She's from the Intelligence Transfer Center. And also we've got Nogu Kanyanduli from the African Union. She's uh, an expert in law and constitutionalism, also part of the Department of Political Affairs at the AU Commission. And just to give uh, you... More about Deshaun Dazel. She's a business consultant, an executive coach, a motivational speaker, and also part of ITC Partner. Let's start with you, Deshaun, in terms of your involvement in this uh, particular gathering. Um, How important is this gathering? Uh, You know, this gathering is so important because uh, it's the only gathering that we know of uh, in Africa where women actually come together and not only discuss issues that are relevant to um, developing other women in politics, but also just the -the on-the-ground practical hands-on issues that women get to face every day and and just basically what affects women from a political perspective on the African continent. So it's vitally important that the dialogue is there, um, that women get to share uh, success stories and and, and practical techniques of things that actually work. Uh, And I think we're also looking for answers. We're looking for ways to solve certain problems. So this is not a forum where it's a man bashing, you know, we need to get rid of him session. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I was sure that 
that you would actually enjoy hearing that part. But it's really about how do we come alongside and, and educate and communicate the value that women can bring uh, when it comes to their involvement in politics on the continent. Staying with you, Deshaun, there in terms of that particular aspect. I mean, when you look at Africa, it's very patriarchal, it's very male-dominated. It just comes from our cultures and traditions as well. Have we seen a change in terms of women's uh, involvement in politics? Have we seen that dimension change over the years, especially after the decolonization period? Well, I have to say that there has been change, but it's been at such a slow pace that, mm. uh, you know, it, it doesn't really satisfy where women want to be uh, in terms of their uh, influence in, in the political systems of Africa. Sure. What, I, what I would like to say is that there's a greater awareness now of women being able to move into these positions, but there are so many factors that are systemic to just being on the African continent which are preventing women from entering into politics. So just things like how you socialize a girl child. Mm. You know, there are so many African communities where if, you ha if the family didn't have money and they had to send someone for an education, they would prefer to send the boy. Uh, then you have issues of poverty, which mainly affects women in Africa. So most of Africa's rural population is made up of women because men are migratory laborers so you know then you have that situation so poverty HIV AIDS teenage pregnancy all of those social uh, conundrums are actually what are facing women uh, in a far greater way than they face men and then you also have the issue of inclusion so when it comes to women actually needing to get onto a political platform they're already on the back foot because the systems that uh, the electoral systems that are mostly used in Africa uh, favor the way a man would campaign versus the way a woman would campaign sure. so we're still got a long way to go. Let me move on to Nogukanya Nduli from the African Union Commission. Thank you for joining us as well Nogukanya. Uh, your thoughts around this particular conversation, especially the, the issue of um, incorporation and access. Your thoughts, especially now the African Union Commission chair was a woman for the past few years and she had a role to play. There also talks about will she be able to uh, actually be a strong figure within the AU Commission uh, being a female uh, and also because of the stereotypes around women. Do you think she did a good job and what were the challenges for women in her tenure during this particular time? Okay, thank you very much. Um, I think I would like to reiterate what has been said by Deshaun sure. around the challenges that women face on the continent still and the challenges that they have been facing all along. Uh, however, I think it is very important for us to do count our successes. Mm. You know, I think one of the things that has been highlighted in this conference is the successes that have been made by Rwanda in particular, who okay. um, have the highest representation of women in the parliament. Mm. And when uh, President Kagame was interviewed in October very recently, and he was talking about the role of women and how Rwanda actually achieved this, and his main focus was the fact that, you know, in a society that has about 52% representation of women, it would be absolutely dismal to leave women behind. Mm. But he also highlighted the fact that women and men bring very different things to the table. Mm. And when you combine the two, you get a very good ma match mm. that works. Sure. And as you can see in Rwanda, really, it is a high uh, you know, level of participation of women. And the country actually works. Um, the African Union is actually holding a high-level dialogue uh, in November in Kigali, to talk about the women participation in politics. Uh, it's an annual event that they hold, but this year, because um, the year of 2015 is focused on women empowerment and development, mm. they wanted to actually look at 
how do women participate and what impact do women actually have when they are in the power, power, uh, power positions or either in political parties or um, you know, other kind of positions uh, of, of leadership. Um, and what, what uh, Deshaun was saying about what we are doing here is very similar to what the African Union wants to do. They have put in a lot of initiatives over the years uh, from the Maputo Protocol mm-hmm. 2003, which is one of the groundbreaking documents around women empowerment in all spheres, mm-hmm. because I think it's very important to look at this issue holistically. The challenges have been highlighted uh, being social issues, education, poverty and all. And so if you are looking at women participation, you need really to try and address the problem holistically. So what it, the conference is also going to try and do is to try and see what gains have been made uh, and what the AU still needs to do to actually promote uh, participation of women and inclusion in all spheres uh, of life. Uh, with regards to um, Her Excellency Madame uh, Zuma's um, presence at the African Union, I think she is probably the, she is the first uh, female chairperson. Mm-hmm. But in her tenure, um, perhaps just to give you a little bit of a structure of the African Union, uh, there are eight departments, and the eight departments are headed by eight commissioners. Mm-hmm. Um, and currently, we have eight commissioners, and four of the eight commissioners are female. So I think, you know, um, that is one thing that sort of demonstrates that the AU is not just talking about countries having gender parity, but also internally there is that practice that, Mm. you know, we are going to showcase what we do. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. It's great to hear that. But in in terms of that transformation, looking at the positives, where do we still need to change the mindset, especially of men themselves? Because sometimes you could work with men within a business context or a politics context, whatever context it is. But it seems that sometimes men haven't shifted that notion that they can do business with women. They can actually interact with uh, women in politics. It seems they still have that stereotypes that uh, women must follow. Look at our own country. It seems like the, the even our ruling party, the ANC Women's League, seems to be that other, other party, that other you know, kind of structure that is just part of the lobbying process, not really taking... Yes, yes. So how do we actually have that parity, that equal uh, equal kind of relationship between men and women in these dynamics? You know, I think it's uh, it's natural to assume that women want to take over, but it, that's not the case. So the first thing that men needs to be, need to be conscientized on is that we want to come alongside and add the value that women can uniquely add uh, mm. to the political spectrum. So I think it really is just about busting some myths about women's capabilities. Mm. And uh, perhaps the one thing I want to say is that excellence doesn't have a gender. If someone is good, they're good. If they're excellent at leadership, they should be just seen as excellent in leadership, uh, regardless of whether they're male or female. Uh, so it really does require quite a, a psychological, uh, seismic mind shift <laughs> in our brothers on the continent um, and yet some men have dem- demonstrated the, the capacity to do so. You know, we've got some presidential heads who have really showcased the idea of bringing women alongside and then have shown the tangible results that come, uh, very positive tangible results that come from uh, bringing women into uh, political spectrums, into yeah. the leadership cycle, um, you know, and, and just it, it shouldn't even be we're doing this 
as a favor to you. I mean, mm. our women have proved themselves to be excellent uh, at leadership in so many different ways. Um, so, you know, it shouldn't be seen as a threat. It should firstly be seen as this person is good at what they're doing, so you've got merit, um, and then it should be seen as the person has impact as well. Fantastic. We're going to go back to our Johannesburg studios, take a quick break. If you've just joined us, we're at the 7th Annual Women in Politics Africa Conference right here, just outside Santon. we at the Indaba Hotel, and uh, you are Joining us here on Channel Africa, this is Africa Midday with me, Benjamin Mshatam. I'm currently speaking to Deshaun Dazel, who is uh, a business consultant, executive coach, uh, motivational speaker, and also partner of Intelligence Transfer Center that's also uh, really in, uh, involved in putting this whole gathering together. We also have Nugukanya Nduli, who is uh, the, um, from the Department of Political Affairs at the AU Commission and also an expert in constitutionalism and also a law expert. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back after this. Would you like to be featured on our website? Send us interesting pictures such as those of people, events, or anything you think is unique and interesting. Be part of our website and share those memorable moments with Channel Africa and the rest of the world. Don't miss this opportunity. Take a picture now. Pictures can be sent to info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. You can view your pictures on www.channelafrica.co.za and also on our Facebook page. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, we're currently at the 7th Annual Women in Politics Africa Conference right here at the Indaba Hotel. And you are listening to Africa Midday with me, Africa Dialogue rather, with me, Benjamin Mushatama. And uh, remember that uh, you're listening to us on DSTV on Channel 902. And if you're listening to us on our shortwave frequency, it's on uh, uh, 9025. And thank you for listening to us on that particular frequency. Online, you're listening to us on www.channelafrica.co.za. Today, we'll look Looking at women in politics, and there's a big gathering. Girls were getting pampered out there. I saw some makeup. I saw some massages happening out there. I was even asking the ladies here, you know, you never get a man conference where guys are getting massaged and getting pampered, and, you know, uh, never happens. Never, ever happens. And they were saying, hey, we never ask for it. I think, guys, you got to do something in this regard. But joining us, we've got Deshaun Dazel and Nogukanya Nduli joining us here in the conference here. Uh, I was asking you, Nogukanya, during that break in terms of representation, for women in terms of are they representative, represented well in terms of our constitutions and also looking at our legal systems? Are we doing well as a continent in terms of making sure women have that representation when it comes to the law? Uh, I think some constitutions across the continent make provisions for gender um, equality and gender par parity and expressly state those things within the constitutions but there are many others that don't expressly say that they mm. just would maybe put it in a way that 
equality of all people, you know, and from then, then you can extrapolate that sure. women are supposed to be given the same kind of spaces. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, having a, a look at the evolution of our constitutions on the continent from the period of colonialism to where we inherited constitutions uh, and the changes that have been made to constitutions mm. uh, in, in, in a, a period re, uh, termed as a third democratization wave, sure. Uh, you find a lot of the times that the constitutions have moved from very kind of oppressive constitutions to becoming very democratic and taking into consideration issues of human rights and governance. Mm. So I think where we are now, a lot of constitutions are okay. Mm. Now, what we need to move towards is the area of implementation. Mm. I think even as the African Union, we had uh, a challenge with the fact that a lot of the heads of states come and sit in summits and they adopt a lot of great resolutions and charters and, and, and protocols. And then when they go back to their homes, it is the implementation, the ratification, the domestication that becomes a bit of a challenge, mm. you know. Uh, and I think as the a union, we are sort of trying to establish what are the challenges that actually hinder the implementation, mm. you know, so that we are not just uh, throwing uh, accusations to say people have no political will. Sometimes you find that countries are in very different levels in terms of economic, um, you know, abilities to implement certain things. Mm. So we need to look at that and see how realistic it is for us uh, as the union when these things have been adopted and signed and ratified. Mm. How realistic is it to expect countries to implement and what kind of time frames we're talking about? Mm. But maybe to go back to your question with regards to uh, legal representation, um, the legal systems in, in, on the continent, you know, still face some serious challenges. Some countries are better than others, and South Africa being one of the countries who is very progressive in terms of our legal system, in terms of our constitution. Um, and other countries, they, 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 they have challenges even in terms of infrastructure, you know, mm, mm. access to justice for everybody, not sure, just women, is sure. quite a, a, a great big challenge. Corruption issues uh, in the justice system still remain a great challenge. I think recently we've just seen Ghana, who had to weed out some uh, high court judge, judges because mm, of corruption mm. issues. Sure, sure. So I, I, I do think that, you know, it is a work in progress. It's not doom and gloom, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, we've made a lot of progress over the years, and uh, we just have to keep the conversations going. As women, we have to take our spaces and try and promote better representation for ourselves, but also, as Deshaun said, recognize the men that are part of this movement that have helped us to make the progress that we have. Yeah. Um, and having said that, you need to understand that in Africa, uh, of the 54 states, we currently have two female heads of state, one yeah. being the interim uh, president in the yeah. Central Africa Republic, um, meaning that all the progressive documents coming out from the African Union about women empowerment have been endorsed by the 52 heads of state sure. who are male. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, some of these things we have to keep into consideration. We haven't done enough, but... It is work in progress. So you were echoing that sentiment as well, Deshaun, the issue of implementation, saying during the break, hey, we've got policy, but hey, it's really a challenge when it comes to implementing those policies. I do believe one of Africa's um, key strategic uh, gaps is the ability to e execute. Yeah. Um, and that comes down to education, really. It comes down to being... Um, being capable, technically capable of seeing a task uh, through from uh, initiation to completion. Um, and I think once we have a critical mass of people who are in leadership positions, uh, people who are in government and even business, because you do need 
you, you need public-private partnerships to make uh, these uh, a lot of these policies come to life. Right. So once you've got a critical mass of people who know how to integrate, how to partner, uh, and how to bring a task from inception to completion, right. we'll probably see a very different Africa in a decade's time. Fantastic. I'm going to let you guys go and try and get our other guests, but thank you for your contribution. That was Deshaun Dazel, who is business consultant, executive coach, motivational speaker, and also a partner of Intelligence Transfer Center, which is actually putting together this uh, function together. We also want to thank Nagukanya Nduli, who is uh, from the African Union Commission. She's also uh, an expert in constitutionalism and law. Let's take a quick break back to our Johannesburg studios, and we'll be back with our other guests. Africa rising through innovative technologies to improve the quality of life of its people. From the 29th of November to the 3rd of December 2015, South Africa's City of Gold, Johannesburg, will host the 7th AfriCity Summit. Delegates will have an opportunity to reflect on the challenges that local governments and partner states are faced with, the state of affairs and what steps have been taken to ensure that the objective to build a network of smart cities is realized. Channel Africa will be there bringing you live coverage. The AfriCity Summit is an engagement for Africa's local government authorities, which is organized every three years by the United Cities and Local Governments of Africa, UCLG Africa. This year's edition will be held under the theme, Shaping the Future of Africa with the People. The contribution of African local authorities to Agenda 2063 of the African Union. Smart cities will be one of the subjects explored during the five-day summit. So, join Channel Africa between the 29th of November and the 3rd of December for coverage of AfriCities 2015. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, we're having a great conversation right here outside Santon. The area is called really uh, Four Ways. We're at the Indaba Hotel uh, right here in Johannesburg, South Africa, at the 7th Annual Women in Politics Africa, really speaking about how do we actually make sure that uh, really the, the move for Africa to ensure that women are also mainstreamed due to uh, politics and also other forms of uh, uh, social life on our continent, how do we actually push that agenda forward? Earlier on, we're speaking to Deshaun Dazel, who is uh, actually part of the organizers of this particular event. Also, we have Nogukanya Nduli, who is uh, from the African Union Commission. Now we've got a second round of our program. We've got the Honorable Dr. Benedette Lahai, who is uh, the Vice President of the Pan-African Parliament and also part of the minority, or rather a minority leader in the Sierra Leone Parliament. And uh, we've also got the ANC Youth League Johannesburg Regional Secretary uh, Ms. Loiso uh, Lugayeni, and thank you both for joining us for this part of the conversation. Honorable Dr. Benedict Lahai, before I move on to some of the elements that are highlighted during the break, in terms of your, uh, your perception about the involvement of women in parliament, definitely we've seen a change over the years, especially after decolonization. Are you happy with the progress? Do you think we still need to do more? 
Uh, yes, we still need to do more, but we must celebrate our achievements so far. Sure. Uh, because uh, before now, you know, we'll be t- talking about 1%, 2%, or 3% mm. of women in parliament. But especially since Beijing, uh, since Beijing, since the Beijing forward-looking strategies, mm. uh, since uh, the Millennium Development Goals, uh, and since the African Union, with the establishment of the gender division of the African Union, sure. uh, we have really moved the issues of women to the fore, and both strategically and also in terms of practice. Uh, be that as it may, uh, we are still not there. Mm. Uh, we still have challenges along the way. We still have valleys to, to mm. cross mountains, you mm. know, to climb high. Uh, but uh, I think uh, the f- few women that have made it mm. uh, are providing the the, men, the mentorship uh, provided a role modership uh, that uh, other women will follow. Mm. Well, early on, um, Lehai, one of our guests, I think it was Deshan, was highlighting the campaign process, especially during elections, mm. and saying that it's a campaign system that sometimes favors males more. Just the style of campaigning on the continent seems to really... Um, be more favorable to to the male to the male uh, candidate what are your thoughts around that yes because uh, i'm a product of that i have contested three elections in my country i'm doing my third term yes. the longest serving a female parliamentarian currently in parliament i know that the campaigns are very very critical and one but also a very uh, much painful especially for women mm. because uh, uh, it it needs a lot of things. First of all, you need to be a public speaker. Mm. Uh, you need to bring people on board. Uh, you need to be smart when campaigning because sometimes uh, people go out there deliberately to throw things at you, to mm. ask you questions, to embarrass you. They bring in your personal business. So you have to be smart mm. to also outdo some of those people, uh, but at the same time, humorous. Uh, yes, <laughs> like you also have to be very humorous because sometimes uh, the questions are so 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 sometimes stuck and so raw mm, that mm. Uh, if you are not, you know, you will lose your sense of purpose while you are there. Sure. But at least, you know, even while you are also responding in a very acidic way uh, to those things, you bring a little bit of humor mm. so that the the person you are responding <laughs> doesn't feel too much embarrassed and so forth sure, and so sure. on. But uh, the issue of finance is also critical because. It involves money. Mm. Money does not vote, but money wins elections. Mm. Uh, you need a lot of money mobilizing people, providing them with transportation, entertainment, feeding. Some of our voters out there think that you know campaign time is, is payback time. Mm. You know because if they cannot get it out of you now, when you are in your most desperate situation, mm. eh, when you win, eh, it's, a, it's an entirely different thing. So sure. they will keep on coming, keep on coming, keep on coming. Mm. So it's, it's very, but then also, you know, the men with whom we are campaigning also play a lot of intrigues. The campaign timetable sometimes, they are shifting the goalposts. Mm. So you have to be uh, updated. You have sure. to be alert. Mm. Maybe today the campaign is here. One hour the campaign, <laughs> the campaign venue has changed. Sure, hmm? sure. Just to outwit you, you are supposed to speak first or last. Then they change the order of the or, 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 of the campaign. The program, yeah. Just to throw you off balance. But sometimes uh, 
the the men use other intrigues. You see, so uh, what I have always done as a politician, eh, I'm also very rough on the campaign field. Don't see me. I'm young You're not just a hard. soft. Uh... No, I'm not so motherly you know. figure. Oh no, I, when I get on the campaign stage, you know that I'm in there for for fight to fight, you know, because it's a matter of my ego. It's also a matter of of winning out there, convincing sure. out there. So I'm there eh, with my gym, with my with my with my <laughs> trainers, you know, and all of those things. When I get up to stage, you know that Bernadette Lahai means business, on, and business. then that sends message to my male my my male uh, campaigners that. She's you better not, not, play. You better not, not play with her because uh, she will give it to you right there. <laughs> well, I'm going to take a quick break back to our Johannesburg studios, and then we're going to speak to a young politician, Ms. Louise Lugayeni, who is part of the ANC Youth League. Maybe speak about young women in politics. I think that's another area we can touch that we haven't covered. And also, I want to touch this whole thing, you know, speaking about the flavor that women bring into politics. They have a different style, as you heard from Honorable Dr. Benedict Lahai saying, hey, she might be motherly, she brings that motherly side to her politics, but hey, she's also a strong woman. So hey, if you want to interact with us, do join us on our uh, Twitter handle at uh, uh, African Dialogue, at African Dialogue, at Channel Africa One. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back. would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station is it via shortwave internet or satellite and what do you enjoy listening to you can sms us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine oh five or email us it's at info at channelafrica.org you can also tell us via facebook or tweet us on the handle at channel africa numerical one or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, we're back right here at uh, the Indaba Hotel uh, Conference Center. And uh, thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. If you're listening on DSTV, we're on Channel 902. That's Channel 902. Thank you for also streaming us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.co.za. We were just speaking to the Honorable Dr. Benedict Lehai, who's the Vice President of the Pan-African Parliament and also uh, the Minority Leader in Sierra Leone Parliament. But now let's move on to Ms. Loiso Lugayeni, who is uh, from the ANC Youth League, which is the ruling party in South Africa. She's the Johannesburg Regional Secretary. Loiso, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Now tell me a little bit, is it, is it different to be a young lady in politics? You know, sometimes it's very easy to see a, a figure like Malema making, he can make any ridiculous comment that he wants. He can say whatever he wants in politics. He can do whatever he wants. He can he can smoke cigar in front of us and have a glass of whiskey, but is there different expectation from uh, females, especially young females in politics? Well, um, absolutely, um, and um, uh, I will attest that because of the of our society, sure. um, um, its perceptions, but also equally, it's um, it's cultural, the, sure. our background, how we orientated, and it's one of the key things that actually came out of this conference to say that. 
women, young women in particular, because of how you are, um, you grow up and how you are supposed to be in front of society. So the expectation is that you must be prim and proper, um, not throw a stone back when somebody throws a stone. But uh, times are changing, Mm. and that um, expectation um, is what we are actually trying to to demystify because we, we, we cannot be politicians based on gender we must be politicians because we are we, 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 we citizens we human beings so at a particular point if i feel like having a, a cigar i should be able to have it <laughs> sure. because myself i am a leader and there is a group of society that perhaps enjoys cigar and if mm. i need to attract that group sure. uh during electioneering Why i not? must be in the place sure. that they smoke cigars if there are people who have a particular interest in something that is taboo it's our role as politicians to bring those members so that they are able to um, work with us, converse with us. So for me, the expectation is that it should be like that. But that's what we are trying to to get rid of, particularly when we continue to engage in these type of dialogues. Mm. Just before the break, I was speaking about just uh, what we're going to talk about now, the issue of the flavor that the vibe that women bring into politics. Um, It's no longer timid. It's not just uh, someone on the sidelines now. We're seeing more women starting to take more of a robust approach in terms of how they actually deal with politics and how they do politics. Uh, Honorable Dr. Benedette Lahai was just speaking about that, that she just doesn't sit back. She also has a strong side in terms of how she uh, puts herself out there. Your thoughts around that? Yeah, very true, because um, I think we we can use practical examples. Um, in terms of policy making, mm. women are actually in the forefront of policy making. If you look for an instance in our in, in most of our countries where you will have uh, sexual offences bills, um, where you will have uh, gender based violence uh, bills passed, that is because there are women who advocate for those particular uh, bills to be passed. Mm. So it's not it, it's it's. In, in, back 20 years back, one would never have imagined that there would be such uh, bills passed in our country mm. because there wouldn't be particularly people advocating for that. Mm. So the women, the, the, the involvement of women, um, yes, the flavor is there in terms of changing it. Um, 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 I mean, you, 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 you witnessed a, a different, I'll, I'll, I'll use my country as an example, where you had a lot of um, uh, fashion coming into, yeah, into politics. Yeah, so yeah. you have uh, ANC babes. That yeah, was what the, my political yes, party. Yes, yes. We had ANC babes. So we, we, we're transforming yeah. um, uh, the, how we campaign. We're bringing youthfulness in how we campaign. The feminine touch is important, but the feminine touch doesn't really define mm. the content behind because the content is what we fight for and the policy shift that we seek to advance. Mm. Let me come back to you, Honorable Dr. Benedette Lahai, in terms of some of the issues you highlighted earlier especially when it comes to that campaigning issue. Funding is very important to really support campaigns, to really maintain any political parties. Have you been discriminated because of your gender? Well, uh, not in a way, because Mm. in Sierra Leone, you know, the big corporate organizations uh, uh, are afraid to come out to fund. Okay. If they fund, they form cross-party. That is like women caucuses. 
women coming together, irrespective of the political party, then the bigger corporates or, or even the NGOs, the international and national NGOs, are more comfortable funding women when you come together so that you are not being accused of being partisan, okay. especially by, by the government. So uh, in situations like that, uh, we can have funding, but even the funding may be prescribed. It may not necessarily be uh, money in the physical sense. They can organize uh, uh, campaign uh, training programs. They can organize training programs on resource mobilization. If they provide T-shirts, it will be a neutral language, you know, women, um, more women, better politics, better mm. politics, but not aligning themselves mm. with... Is that fair, though? For me, I find that not fair, because I feel like if, if male politicians can get funding, you know, you know, why should there be an agenda when it comes to funding uh, females? Well, uh, I'm saying this for, 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 for both men and women, especially okay, sure. the, for, the, for the youth in Sierra Leone. Okay, okay. uh, when organizations like you have the All Political Parties uh, Youth Association, you have the All the Political Party Women's Association. So uh, organizations are not, are not afraid to pour in money mm. because they are not, it's not being directed at one political party. It's directed at women. When they will provide T-shirts, when they provide other mm. logistics, sure. it is going to the, the association through which this information are channeled. But when it comes to corporate organizations, sure. it's actually a matter of individual and personal relationship. All right. It's All not right. that uh, they are discriminating, but if you have even before related more with such a corporate organization okay. and there's value for money, then you stand to gain uh, money. But because in our countries, in Sierra Leone, political parties are not funded. Okay. We are now struggling there. We are striving hard that in our mm. new revised constitution, we have a percentage of funding going to the political parties. Of mm. course, the political parties uh, registration will now develop the modalities through a statutory instrument to see how that funding is going to work, who will benefit it, what will be the conditionalities and what will be the penalties. Mm. So that is what we are fighting because mm. so that uh, we also want to be <clears throat> weary of big corporate organizations funding political parties mm. and at the same time when that happened you know sometimes they influence policies wrongly sure, or rightly sure. and we want to avoid that so we are campaigning that uh, we have uh, some funding from the political from government for political parties but this will be arranged by the political party registration commission which is responsible for uh, for regulating the activities of political parties and that is why even now because uh, individuals political parties are funded individually the political parties registration Commission is finding it very difficult at the end of every campaign for mm. political parties to send in their returns. They say, Why should we send returns when mm. you are not the one funding <laughs> us? You know, and therefore, even when they send returns, <clears throat> they may hide, mm. they may hide uh, some, uh, of the, some of the sources sure, of sure. the pub because some will say, uh, we, we want to remain anonymous, mm. but you know, I always say there is no free lunch. When a big corporate organization funds you, either now back. or in the future, you know, they want something back <laughs> from true. you. That's true. Now, just to wrap up the conversation, uh, so how do we actually advance this program of women being more, um, having a voice within politics? Um, we've made advancements in, on the continent. We've gone far, but we still have a long way to go. As a young politician, what are your thoughts around that? How do we move forward? Um, I think it will be important for, uh, for us to, to create uh, a foundation. Um, one of the key challenges is that young women um, are not uh, prepared uh, to lead, even young girls. The girl child, our curriculum doesn't speak 
to capacitating a girl child in terms of having that confidence, mm-hmm. that approval of themselves. Because you first have to approve of yourself to understand that you can anchor a, 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 a radio show one, one day. So it's the foundation step mm-hmm. at a school of a girl child mm-hmm. to say, the way they are Boy Scouts, the way they are drilled and those type of, 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 of interventions, the girl child must be prepared at that age. When you reach your youth, you are then able to have those intergenerational dialogues, which we are having here. Mm. Um, these are the, the, the type of uh, intergenerational dialogues and encouragement then then bring young women into the space where they can then take the baton from those who are already. By the time we get to a level where we have to run our mm. continent, we have already received the necessary tools that we are able to use in order for us. So for me, it can't be a, a now approach. Of, it's an investment, and the investment is across all party lines. It must be a, a decision. It must be a nation-building program where we say this is a program to capacitate our young women in our different countries for our continent to be able to, to, to lead better, particularly when we're related to, to Agenda uh, 2063, mm-hmm. because there is no cadre of a woman that you're going to have in 2063 if we don't start the foundation now. Mm. Your final words just in a minute or so, uh, Dr. Lahai, uh, the same question. Yes, I think, uh, especially for young women, you know, we need to build a lot of supporting structure for them. Because when we, this, is a, this is a reproductive stage of women. Young women want to have families, and, it's, and at the same time, they want to go into politics. Okay. So a situation like that, they need a lot of supporting structure from the, from the family, from within the community, from the women themselves. For example, how do you juggle between you having a, maybe two or under five children, mm-hmm. and you, you are a mother, you want to go into politics career, and with politics, you know, you, you, you are very mobile. You know, you are moving up and down the country on conferences in and out of the country mm-hmm. with young children. So we need a lot of supporting structure for, 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 for these young women. For us, who are now uh, maybe middle age, we can share our experiences. When I got into politics in 2002, my eldest daughter was 14 wow. and my younger daughter was 12, you wow. know, and they were in secondary school. It needed, they needed a lot of, I needed a lot of support. But thank God my husband's job is sedentary as a university lecturer. Mm. He was more sedentary. So he practically br- brought up my children, you Fantastic. know, at that age. So mm. I, and you also have to have an understanding uh, partner if you are in a relationship and understanding partner that will know that your work as a politician takes you out. I go out, I sometimes don't come midnight, yeah. but my husband is there waiting to, to, to open the yeah, door. Another husband will be like, where were you? Where yeah, were yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> my husband is there waiting for me because he knows sometimes I've taken him on campaigns, you yes, know, he's a quiet yes. somebody's yes. campaign and, and sometimes he's afraid of me. So Bernard, <laughs> I said, no care, you sit down, you just give me the money and the moral support, you know, you kick me back, I kick you back, this is the game, you know, and uh, there's no crying baby here. So it is a support structure for even the women. So, uh, the women themselves is important, you know. We need the women to be there to serve as volunteers, you know, yes. in your campaigns to also help you raise resources, to link you with, with, with people that can help you build your, your capacity and sure. so forth. So the structure is at the government level. The government should also encourage. Put, in Syria, you know, we are talking of the Women's Campaign Fund. The government is trying to sure. put some funds so that sure. they can provide you with money and logistics to go. But you need all the support structure you need, especially when you are a young politician. Fantastic. I love that story. I love actually those personal stories. I love when 
you know, you hear that kind of personal story behind a politician. Or It's fantastic. Thank you to the Honorable Dr. Bernadette Lahai, who's the Vice President of the Pan-African Parliament and also Minority Leader in Sierra Leone Parliament. Thank you as well to Ms. Loiso Lugayeni, who is the uh, Johannesburg Regional Secretary of the ANC Youth League. What a fantastic conversation. Thank you for joining us. Thank you as well to Dumelo Zulu, who is producing this program. It's such a fantastic job with the great guests that he brought in. Uh, that's how we're going to wrap it up. We're going to go back to our Johannesburg studios. This is bye-bye from Johannesburg, but we'll get our economics update and our sports day in our Johannesburg studios, and then the show will be wrapped up. Until uh, next week, Monday, God bless. Good morning with your economics news. I'm Wisani Matewula. Indian Prime Minister Nareda Modi has vowed to raise support for Africa's development. He was speaking at the opening of the third India-Africa summit in the Indian capital, New Delhi. 41 heads of states are attending the summit. Currently, trade between India and Africa's 54 nations is standing at over 85 billion US dollars. Prime Minister Modi explains. India will offer concessional credit of 10 billion US dollars over the next five years. We will also offer a grant assistance of 600 million US dollars. This will include an India-Africa Development Fund of 100 million US dollars, an India-Africa Health Fund of 10 million US dollars. It will also include 50,000 scholarships in India over the next five years. A decision by Nigerian authorities to impose a fine on MTN Group of more than 20% of its market value risks a foreign investment in an economy struggling to cope with sliding oil prices, currency restrictions and no finance minister. Nigeria's telecommunications regulator this week fined Johannesburg-based MTN, which is Africa's biggest mobile phone operator, 5.2 billion US dollars for failing to disconnect customers with unregistered SIM cards. French oil and gas company Total's net adjusted profit has tumbled 23% to 2.8 billion US dollars in the third quarter compared with the same period a year ago, hit by a sharp fall in global oil prices. The firm, however, revised its production growth target higher to more than 9% this year from 8% previously, following a 10% jump in production in a third quarter boosted by new projects and list on average expected $2.4 billion in net adjusted profit. And the International Monetary Fund expects the Seychelles economy to expand by 4.3% this year, helped by improved tourism sector performance and private sector credit. Tourism is a major economic activity in the Indian Ocean Island. Seychelles' economy grew by 3.3% in 2014. Inflation is expected to fall to 4.4% by the end of the year, thanks to low food and oil prices and a tight monetary policy. The Zambian Kwacha and the inflation has risen to its highest in six years as the copper producer was battered by power cuts, a falling currency and a shrinking demand for its primary imports. Consumer prices rose sharply to 14.3% year-on-year in October 
from 7.7% in September. The kwacha halved in value against the US dollar this year. The Southern African nation is also in the midst of severe power shortages. Let's look now at your financial indicators. The dollar at 13.6, South African rands at 10.37, Botswana Pula and 12.26, Zambian kwacha. Also trading at 0.65 to the British pound and 0.89 against uh, the euro. Commodities, gold is at uh, $1,180, platinum $1,006, Brent crude oil ending the morning at $48.80 per barrel. And that's it for the day. Now, sports update this hour. I'm figured Wati. We're kicking off with football news. Michel Platini insists he remains the best man to run football despite his ongoing suspension from the game. The UEFA president is being investigated over a payment of around £1.3 million signed off by Seb Blatter, which was accepted by the Frenchman in 2011 for work carried out between 1998 and 2002. That is thrown into doubt his eligibility to stand in February's election to replace Blatter, who has also been suspended by FIFA's Ethics Committee, with Football Association Chairman Greg Dyke telling MPs saying he believes Platini is unlikely to be a candidate. And in local football, despite their dominant showing in continental competitions, things are going from bad to worse for South Africa's Orlando Pirates on the domestic front as they conceded yet another APSA Premiership defeat on Wednesday evening. A 2-0 loss to recently promoted Golden Arrows saw Pirates plunge down the latest lock standings to position 13 with just one league victory in their name this season. A disappointed Pirates coach, Eric Tinkler, says he believes they played well overall. Disappointed with the result, but not entirely disappointed with the performance because I think if you look at the first half, I thought we played well. We should have been at least 4-0 by half-time. Half-time was just trying to motivate the players, tell them that they were doing the right things, exactly what we had planned for the game, ahead of the game. That was working for us and we needed to continue and that the goal would eventually come. First two minutes of the second half, we should have made, <laughs> we should have scored our, our fifth goal and we didn't. And, you know, at half-time, I just made the players obviously aware that, you know, the only threat they were really causing us was obviously on the counter once or twice we just needed to be wary of that and fortunately they ended up catching us meanwhile golden arrows broke an eight-year drought with their absa premiership 2-0 victory over orlando pirates at orlando stadium in johannesburg the three points moved arrows into the top eight sitting in seventh with 14 points from seven games Eros coach Ramirezoka credits his charges for the win as it keeps them well on track with their plans for the first 10 games. And on to rugby news. Rugby World Cup finalists New Zealand and Australia know each other very well and can both point to a win in their last two meetings. Australia ended a four-year winless run against their local rivals with a 27-19 victory in Sydney on the 8th of August, the All Blacks' third defeat since winning the 2011 World Cup. 
but a week later new zealand restored order in the shape of a five try foot one thirteen threshing in auckland neither side considered a try in last weekend's semi-finals asked about their rivalry all blacks lock samuel whitelock says it did not matter i think the the beauty of this world cup um, everything that's happened before it means very little um, you know it's all going to come down to 80 plus minutes uh, um, on the saturday so sure we're aware of uh, the the history between both sides um, but um, it all comes down to the saturday so and finally, Rafael Nadal advanced to the quarterfinals of the Basel International on Wednesday when he beat Grigor Dimitrov 6-4, 4-6 and 60. Nadal beat Lucas Rasol in the first round. Now, Karlovic winning the tie break in the second set level to score. He won 6-4 in the third with three straight aces to finish Karlovic's advances. And they were uh, really loud, uh, which is normal because this is his home uh, here, so they were all uh, cheering for him. But uh, yeah, I just uh, try to ignore it, you know, try to uh, think positive, and, uh, and in the end, uh, that uh, paid off. That's your sport news this hour.